All right, this is the quote. Just so you know, Rachel always makes me read a quote at the beginning. Here we go. <laughs> so, may the new year be a happy one to you. Happy to many more whose happiness depends on you. That doesn't really rhyme that well. It's not a poem. <laughs> Welcome to Fire the Cannon. This is the pod... What? It's a newer, more sultry us. It's so sultry. Oh, so I should be trying to do that? No, no, no. Welcome to Fire the Cannon. Is that what I just sounded like to you? Wait, you sounded like Rachel? You sounded like this. Welcome to Fire the Cannon. I didn't hear a difference. Yeah. This is the podcast where Jackie and Rachel read all the books in the Western canon, and then we decide if they belong... Or not. He seems like he's distracted <laughs> by his own voice. <laughs> and tell the audience what we're reading today. That I don't know. <laughs> Omnipotent being, please tell us what we're reading. <laughs> um, I actually don't know. <laughs> I almost fell out of my chair. It wasn't on the calendar. Jackie just did her first Yelp of the new year. It's not a new year yet. N- new Year's resolutions, everyone. Jackie, no yelping. Rachel, oh, you're going to... Tell us our resolutions. More jokes. Oh, that was my resolution <laughs> two <jokes>. years ago. <laughs> yeah. I've significantly cut down on my yelping. I have. Yeah, well. And I don't mean the the kind where you leave reviews on the app. I mean the that. Any little thing scares her and then she yelps. She just yelps it out. I'm easily startled. I have an exaggerated startle reflex. But you don't got to advertise it with a yelp. She's exaggerating it, she says. This episode is sponsored by my Yelps. <laughs> I'm advertising it. Oh, here's here's my newest resolution. I want to stop having this sore throat that I woke up with this morning. Yeah. But anyway, what are we reading? Tell them, Jack. Twilight. Really? No, just kidding. No, we're reading a New Year's story. This is The Chimes by Charles Dickens, and it goes by a much longer title, which is the title that he gave it back in, what was this, 1844? 1844. But the full name of this is The Chimes. (laughs) Sorry, I thought it would be on the first page of this, but it's not. (laughs) What the heck? Why isn't it here? Do you want me to read it? So that's a much longer? (laughs) No, 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 no. Just give me, just give me a second. They just changed the kerning or something? A different font or something? (laughs) Just like It it like leans all the way off the page. Um, The full name is The Chimes. Ready? Are you? The full name is The Chimes, a goblin story of some bells that rang an old year out and a new year in. If you guys had told me about the goblin thing, I would have been so excited. Yeah, Theo would love the goblins in this. Be excited now. It's full of goblins. It is full of gobs. Gobs and gobs of goblins. (laughs) Gobs and gobs of gobs. Short gobs, tall gobs, fat gobs, skinny gobs. That describes our podcast hosts. Okay. (laughs) She just said like eight different types of goblins. (laughs) You're each four goblins. Four gobs apiece. I am a skinny fat goblin. All right. Can I introduce the podcast host? Please. So these four goblins are named Jackie. Say hello. They haven't heard your voice yet. Your voices. Hello. 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 (laughs) These four goblins are named Rachel. Hello. It is us. I'm Theo, and I always sound like this. <laughs> he ain't no gobs at all. He's really leaning into this sore throat thing. Yeah. Theo, are you one of those men who gets man colds? He goes what? Man colds. Man colds. Man. You know what I'm talking about? Or the man flu? The man flu. Like they have swine flu and bird flu, and then they have man <laughs> flu. 
No, that's like what women will say about like, oh, he's got the man flu. It means like he's got like a fever of like 99.1 and he's like, I'm dying. Oh, really? Because men can't handle pain or something. Yeah, that's what people say. Wow. I didn't know men were so weak. Yeah, they're extremely Gosh, I'm so offended by that, Jackie. Can we just move on? <laughs> I'm excited about this. I liked the, the Charles Dickens wrote some other story, right? He did. Another holiday themed story. And I think we covered it, actually. I think yeah, we did. Last President's Day, I believe. Actually, he wrote five of what he called Christmas books, which were little short books <laughs> with very what strong... What he called Christmas books. Did he? He did. They were they were called the Christmas book series, and they were all very... It's just like, that's an obvious thing to call five books about Christmas. <laughs> wow, we're really starting out hard on Charles Dickens. He should have called them his Christmas cycle or something like, oh, these... <laughs> I like to call them Christmas books. <laughs> the, 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 the Christmas books. Um, uh, okay, so they're all fired? <laughs> no, we liked Christmas Carol. Oh, sorry. Spoilers for last year's episode, everyone. Go back and listen to our episodes from last year because they're really funny and I they're probably going to be better than this one based on the source material. I don't know. I mean, this is a freaking weird story. Um, but he did the same thing with all of the Christmas books where he divided them and called the different sections by whatever like the theme was. So the first like the Christmas a Christmas carol was divided into staves as though it's like a, you know, different stanzas of a of an actual song and then this one is divided into quarters, just like the quarters on a clock. So Charles Dickens published A Christmas Carol, and it was really popular, but he had some issues in terms of people plagiarizing it and some copyright stuff, and he had to spend a lot of money in legal battles to protect A Christmas Carol, and he ended up in, like, a worse position than he started. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Because the Muppets wouldn't stop trying to steal it from him. Yeah. Too many parodies. He was always fighting off Muppets. I'm imagining him just, like, in his little chambers in London. He's just like, get away, Kermit. Get away, Fozzie. I'm going to sue the pants off of you if you had pants. Damn. I didn't even know that many Muppets. (laughs) You don't know two Muppets? (laughs) I've used Kermit. You said a Muppet that I've never even heard of. You don't know Fozzie Fozzie Bear? Bear? Oh, I thought you said Flossie. Okay. <laughs> Get away from here, Flossie. It's a tangle of floss with two eyeballs. No, there is a Muppet named Flossie. Are you serious? What is it? Really? Harry Monster's baby sister. Aw. <laughs> Why did that get an awe? <laughs> baby sister. Muppets having siblings. All right. I will never understand the ways of this world. Why did you say something you felt deserved an awe? Uh, like, Why did that get one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sorry I didn't think you I've been saying cute shit all episode. <laughs> I called you guys goblins. <laughs> yeah, you really did call us goblins. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Continue, Rachel, with your sinister tale. <laughs> okay. So anyway, the next year, Dickens was like, well, that book was popular, but I'm really, I'm even more poor now, and I haven't achieved my goal of fixing society. So what should I do? What should I do? All right. So he wrote another holiday novella. What was he spending his money on? Why was he so poor? On lawsuits to protect a Christmas carol. It must have been, no, it must have been like lattes and stuff. Lattes? Yeah. Yeah. Mushy pea toast. Millennials, am I right? Yeah. Millennials. Not my millennials. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Is that like a George W. Bush joke? I don't know. No, it's like an Obama joke, right? Not my president. People said that about George W. Bush first, I think. Oh, did they? Yeah, oh. people said that about George Washington. 
Not my president. My president is George the Sixth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good one, Rach. Oh, thanks. Hope our uh, British guests are all listening and loving that joke. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, in response to his poverty, Dickens moved his family to Genoa, Italy. Wish I could do that every time I feel poor. <laughs> well, it's instead of being a vacation, it was just way cheaper to live in Italy than to live in England. Right. Yeah, so the story was written based on the sound of the bells in the Genoa Cathedral. They were disturbing him, the bells of the town. Disturbing. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. Joshua told me that um, bells have always had some type of like symbolic meaning in a lot of literature and cultures, which is, um, let's see. Bells. Let's hear another lie he's made up. I know. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I think I even said to him, I bet Rachel's going to say, oh, that is so not true. <laughs> he usually lies. Well, he sent me an entry from the Dictionary of Symbols and it says, bells. Its sound is a symbol of creative power. Since it is in a hanging position, it partakes of the mystic significance of all objects which are suspended between heaven and earth. Testicles. It is related by its shape to the vault and consequently to the heavens. God damn it, Theo. Testicles. Did you finish it? Could you think of anything else that hangs between heaven and earth that's not a testicle, perhaps? (laughs) We're trying to have a nice family-friendly figs. Figs. I think figs. Yeah, any fruit, really. Apples. But figs are the most like testicles. Uh No, but apples aren't very heavenly, right? That's what caused the downfall of homonity. Homonity? (laughs) Why did you say it like that? We'll fix that on a later episode. We'll fix your pronunciation (laughs) of that word. Um, A whole episode is just going to be you guys like teaching me how to pronounce things. Like, no, Joshua pointed you in the wrong direction on that one, too. (laughs) It's pronounced Jackie. I think bells can mean lots of things to lots of people. You know, it's just like your opinion, man. I think some people are just inspired by the sound of them. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're dangling. Yeah, that they're testicular. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they couldn't make any sound if they weren't dangling. Oh, my gosh. You just uh, blew my mind. A lot of times people think bells symbolize women because they're basically inverted cups. Yeah. Like vaginas. Sorry, Theo. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I knew you couldn't get it. He's like, you guys don't look like inverted cups at all. <laughs> yeah. You just look like a bunch of goblins. I don't see race. I see four goblins per person. <laughs> it's that 90s education in kindergarten. And you're like, now look, everybody is four goblins. No more, no less. There's no differences. Inside every egg is four goblins. <laughs> My sister cracks the egg and says, no, there's clearly three goblins inside of this one. Did that story make it into whatever episode it was in? I can't remember. Yeah. No, sorry. No. What? I don't think so. I'll insert it right here. Okay, good. Yeah, because I never heard it. So my sister Madeline is a kindergarten teacher and she has these little plans that she'll do for different holidays and things. And I think for maybe it was Martin Luther King Day or maybe just the month of February, which which in the States is um, Black History Month. She was teaching her kindergartners about equality and racism and stuff in in a kindergarten fashion. And so she had, you know, a brown egg and a white egg. And her idea was she would, you know, crack these yolks into a bowl and show that like, look, (laughs) even though we look different on the outside, we're exactly the same on the inside. So she cracked these two eggs and she said, look, they're the same, except the one from the brown egg was noticeably darker than the one from the white egg. And the kids were like, no, they're not. They're different. They're the same. Like it totally ruined her her whole little thing. And now those kids are probably off somewhere like being racist, just being terrible racist. Yeah. yeah, she had to like just pretend that she didn't notice and just gaslit these children terribly because they were like, no, they're they're totally different. She's like, Mm-mm, nope. And then she just like took it away and ended it because it wasn't working. <laughs> 
Now this makes me want to do like a parody of the killer's song where it's, are we human or are we four goblins? (laughs) Are we human Mm. or are we four goblins? I mean, I think the good thing is we found something that will replace the human centipede that is actually palatable to me. (laughs) Yeah. I really wish you hadn't brought up the human centipede. (laughs) You can see the wheels turning in here. (laughs) Got to get that SEO. All right. Oh, gosh. It would be so funny if eventually we just mentioned it so much that our audience is a total circle of overlap with people who watch the human centipede. (laughs) That would be, uh, that's not what I'm trying to do. (laughs) Oh, Jackie. I mean, we, we undoubtedly will go to sponsorship at some point. Undoubtedly. From the human centipede movie? Yeah. No, just the human centipede, like the creature. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Might turn that down. Thank you for bringing more attention to my plight. All right. Please continue, Rachel. I'm sorry. I'll, I won't interrupt again for like at least a minute. Okay. <laughs> we'll see about that. So anyway, Dickens, he was like thinking, oh, what should I do for my Christmas story? And then he heard all the bells ringing out and he's like, wow. <laughs> wow. So then he, <laughs> he wrote a letter two days later, sorry, to his, or no, I guess he wrote it that very day because it had to go to England, but he wrote a letter to his biographer and this, his biographer's name was John Forster and here is what the letter said. And if I got this letter from a friend, I would be like, this guy's off his nut. And the letter, it said, we have heard the chimes at midnight, Mr. Shallow. (laughs) And that was the whole letter. (laughs) Now I saw that. Why did he call him Mr. Shallow? I guess that was his nickname. <laughs> I, I actually saw that and I scrolled back up and I said, wait, I thought his name was Forster. <laughs> it is. So you're telling me this is a full piece of paper with just that written on it? Yeah. The Times was like 16 point font though. Yeah, I can't find any reason he called him that. Maybe he had another friend who was like, we have heard the Times, Mr. Deep or something like that. And then they're just being playful. What a crazy thing to say. I think, I mean, if somebody sent me a text like that, I wouldn't worry about it. But if somebody sent me a letter. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be a little weirder if they sent you a letter. If anyone (laughs) sent you a letter. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Shallow. (laughs) Master Shallow. Oh, is that what it said? Yeah, we've heard the chimes at midnight, Master Shallow. So he also says, basically, the point of the book is he wants to strike a blow for the poor. And he said that in the last book, he had converted Scrooge. And now he wanted to try to convert society by saying, like, basically, the things that make a person happy, it says, are mercy and charity, not less than justice. And that those are the same qualities that you need in a whole society, not just one rich guy. So he's trying to say that individuals should be like this, but not just individuals. Communism will win the day. Yeah. (laughs) That's what he was saying. Well, anyway, so the book was published the very next year after A Christmas Carol. And I think we will, over the course of this, say if we think Dickens was in a little bit of a sophomore slump or not. Oh, so it's definitely possible he was. It's possible. I mean, if he's saying he's going to fix society by turning everyone into four goblins, that I would (laughs) think is a bit of a slump. A slump? I thought you were going to say that you thought that was like his greatest work ever. I mean, that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't know if it's the kind of terrible idea you would call a slump. I would call that like a a steep decline or like a a fall (laughs) off a cliff or something. Like the kind of thing a guy who writes a letter that says, we have heard the chimes at midnight master shop (laughs) would come up with. So you think like in that sense, like a good idea would be we're going to turn everybody into eight goblins. And then he's like... No, just four. I'm just too tired to do eight. <laughs> oh, he's in a slump. I don't want to come up with all those names. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, everybody has the same eight goblins inside them? 
No, not anymore because Charles Dickens fell into a little, <sighs> he got a little blue and now we have to do four. All right. We got to get into the plot. We're going to go through the book. It's honestly, it's not that much plot. Jackie, I think we can go pretty quickly. Do you or not? Um, Yeah, I think we can go quickly. Let's try to do it like bada bing, bada boom. All right. <laughs> okay. Quarter one. <laughs> Ready? In an Italian manner. <laughs> Sorry, Italian-American. <laughs> Funnily enough, so the story starts with the, I guess, omniscient narrator saying, look, churches, they're creepy. And he's like, look, I'm not talking about in the daytime, in the summer when there's people. I'm talking about at night alone. They're creepy. Well, <laughs> because we said in the first episode where we did, you know, Charles Dickens last year, he liked to go on these long walks at night. And that's how we came up with the ideas for his stories. So I imagine he just broke into a church basically and was like climbing around in there. and was like, <laughs> wow, this is spooky. He's like, I don't like this at all. <laughs> well, yeah. nobody wanted you in here, Charles. <laughs> all right. So he's talking about like, oh it's so freaking creepy and he's describing all the creepiness and he's like yeah think about when the wind is like whistling around and okay now walk up the creepy steps oh i was like two straight pages of describing the freaking wind that's why this is gonna go fast it's just like the wind goes this way then it goes that way then it swirls around and then it does this thing and then it goes inside of a bell and just the wind (laughs) yeah fire those pages (laughs) oh gosh there is something really cute that he says when he's describing it so you're kind of like walking up up the steps and you're going up to the steeple and he says birds stuff shabby nests into corners of old oaken joists and beams and dust grows old and gray and speckled spiders indolent and fat with long security swing idly to and fro in the vibration of the bells and never loose their hold upon their thread spun castles in the air or climb up sailor like in quick alarm or drop upon the ground and ply a score of nimble legs to save one life that was not even the whole sentence that was like half of it that's a beautiful sentence I know. Yeah, so he's basically saying, like, the spiders, they just have a happy life happy life up there. That's really beautiful. Isn't that cute to think of chubby little spiders that are having a good time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> no, great because they're not coming idea. down to bother us or, like, moving around in a scary way. They're just like, I like spiders. Uh, Jackie's scared of spiders. I'm not scared of spiders. Spiders are the spiders of the land. <laughs> I don't know about that. (laughs) I don't kill spiders when I see them. I just say, I'm going to close my eyes and you're going to be gone. And we're both just going to move on. Yeah, she's scared. I have a couple little spider friends that live out on my porch. And every time I go sit outside, they always jump up on me and come say hi. Are you joking? Really? They jump on you? No, I'm serious. What? Yeah, they do. They just come up. They're like, they're these, they're a couple. I know they're the same spider. They're these like little fuzzy ones. They jump onto your body? Yeah. What? Leg, arm, whatever. The armrest of the chair sometimes wave their little four legs. I've never had a spider just want to jump on my body. Did I tell, I told you about that kid in my middle school, right? Or no? No. Little G? Little G. <laughs> okay. There was a, a kid in my sixth grade class named Robbie. I don't know how to say this exactly. He was a wasp whisperer. So he would stand out on the playground and he would put his hand up. He would call wasps to his hand and like pet the wasps and he would say stuff to them. And then he would go like, get on out of there, little guy. Wow, that's very Gandalf of him. And yeah, and he was like, a he was a redneck and loved hunting, but he, sorry, hunting. But he really, like, got along well with wasps. And, yeah, wow. I saw him do this multiple times, call wasps down from the sky. I'm like, why would... Was it a trick? Was it a trick? Like, did he have a little bit of sugar in his hand? No. I was guessing he had a metabolic disorder and he just, like, gave off some type of, like, alluring scent. Yeah, pheromones. They would come when he wanted them to. They wouldn't just come all the time. 
Wow. Wait, so you don't idolize this guy? I do. Well, I think when he was in seventh grade, he ran away from home and robbed a liquor store. And they found him two weeks later, like living on a surfboard on the beach. Where is Robbie now? Because living on a surfboard? I'm going to Google him. Yeah, he was like, I don't know. That's what he was doing. Living on a surfboard. I was shocked that he lived on a surfboard because he wasn't really a surfer. What do you mean living on a surfboard? We need to understand where Robbie is. It's oh, nice. no. I think he's been arrested a bunch of times for sticking wasps on people uh, okay am i insane because when i hear living on a surfboard i can't picture it <laughs> yeah that's what i heard i don't know if he was i thought they found him floating on it in the water oh. you said on the beach so i'm imagining he just didn't want to get his butt sandy or something okay yeah i guess that makes sense if he's in the water i was just picturing him pacing back and forth from the tip to tip on that surfboard just like this is where i live pacing back from tip to tip but what about the the fins you can't stand on it on land you could dig those down into the sand i'm trying to find him i'm i'm kind of worried about him let's move on let's move on i want to hear more about the bells less about the spiders we'll do a patreon update about robbie yeah so basically it was just lots of pages about the bells and how they have all of these different sounds and there's big ones and small ones and when the wind hits them, they are very creepy. Okay, so then it introduced the main character, whose name is Toby Vec. Most people call him Trotty because he trots back and forth a lot. He is an old man, he's quite poor, and he works as a ticket porter, which is basically, you know, just a kind of freelance messenger, I guess. Like, people will just give him things and say, like, run this over there to this guy. Most of the time, he has his station in a little, um, like, portico of the of the church. So he hangs out there when it's, like, rainy or snowy or something, and people will, you know, tell him what to do. And he's always trotting back and forth. I think he's very cute. I think his little descriptions are very cute. And he's a great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. But he is outside all the time and he sees a lot of things happen and he doesn't have very much money and he sees basically the the full gamut of society, like the rich and the poor. And he's been doing this for so long and standing outside for so long and, and having these bells yell at him for so long that he starts to kind of think, gosh, I wonder, I wonder if there's something wrong with poor people. Like maybe we're poor because we deserve to be poor. Like maybe we just suck. Oh shit. <laughs> and maybe humanity just isn't good and like we are the problem. So he he likes to he likes to just kind of mumble to himself and and trot back and forth. The funny thing is Dickens says like everybody calls him Trotty, but no matter what they do, that is never going to be his real name. <laughs> what does that mean? I, I don't know. They're like, it would take an act of parliament to make his name Trotty. It's actually Toby. But then the narrator calls him Trotty and Toby interchangeably. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like he just really wishes you could make somebody's name different just by calling them that a lot. Dickens seems crazy. Master Shallow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's cute. He's like 70, right? Yeah, he's old. I mean, the thing about Trotty is that like he's having a hard time and he's really poor Aww. and he's like outside all the time. But he knows deep within himself that he is worth his salt. Like he's a good guy. He's a great porter. Yeah, he, he's like, you know what? I have a, a, a modest job, but I do it really well. And he says, although he was very poor and couldn't well afford to part with the delight, he was worth his salt. And he's doing his best and he feels pretty good about himself. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But he thinks that That's poor true. people 
probably are poor for a reason. No, he at this point in the book, he's a cheerful guy who has he's full of love for humanity. Oh, but he changes throughout the book. Yes. I was kind of, yeah, summarizing ahead of time. Yeah. Oh, okay. So no, when it when it opens up, he's a really poor old man, but he is proud of the good job he does at carrying stuff around and trotting hither and thither. Mm. And he's like, it's a cold day. But he gets a wonderful little surprise that day, right, Jackie? A wonderful little surprise because his daughter Meg shows up, right? Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Meg. very hot, by the way. Really? Hot? Yeah. Oh, come on. We don't have to sexualize everything. She's beautiful. Hot can be beautiful. Hot doesn't have to be sexual. They're two different things. Go on. No, they are two different <laughs> things. <laughs> I think she's hot and beautiful, Jackie. She's beautiful and hot and kind and smart. And those are the four goblins of Meg. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Greatest goblins of all time. Those are her goblin essences. Yeah. So she shows up in the street and she's got a little basket with her. And he's like, what's going on, Meg? And she's like, I have something for you. Guess what it is? And he's like, oh God. I don't know. Is it ham? And she's like, nope, it's not ham. And he's like, is it bacon? I'm like, nope, it's not bacon. It's tripe. And then she pulls out this wonderful hot dinner of tripe and um, a little bit tripe. of bread and, and some Oh, and some hot potato and some beer. And she says, I brought you lunch. And he sits down and he's so happy and he's eating it. And it's so delicious. And he hasn't had like a hot meal in a long time. And after a while, he thinks, oh, my God, Meg, I haven't offered you any. I'm such a monster. And she's like, oh, no, I, I already ate. I already ate. You, you go ahead. Yeah. So she's like, oh, no, Dad, I already ate. And yeah, Jackie's right. We assume she probably didn't. But anyway, she's like, look, here's the reason that I brought it to you. I want to tell you something, Dad. And he's like, oh, what is it? And she says, well, uh, I I'm going to get married to Richard tomorrow. Richard's her longtime fiance. And he's like, oh, Richard, I love that guy. Cool. The thing I don't like, though, is that instead of her, she doesn't phrase it as saying, like, I'm going to do it or I want to do it. She phrases it like Richard says we should get married tomorrow. Yeah. Like, OK. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say, so this is before Meg ever comes up. He's walking around and he says to himself, he's he's reading the newspaper and he says, it frightens me almost. I don't know what we poor people are coming to. Lord send we may be coming to something better in the new year. I can't make out whether we have any business on the face of the earth or not. Sometimes I think we must have a little, and sometimes I think we must be intruding. I get so puzzled, I'm not even able to make up my mind whether there's any good at all in us or whether we're born bad. Yeah, it's funny because that's what people say now, too. They're like, ugh, the news, it's just always full of bad stuff. Ain't nothing in the news but the blues. And should humans even be on this earth? Yeah, shouldn't it just all be bells and goblins? <laughs> it should all just be bells <laughs> and goblins. <laughs> okay, we got to keep going through this story because so far there ain't no goblins in it unless Meg is a goblin. <laughs> She's four goblins. Oh, okay. All right, so anyway, Richard is like, look, I've got some work coming up. We've been in love for at least three years. Let's get married tomorrow. It's New Year's Day. That's the most wonderful, lucky day of all. And since I'm poor, mm. I don't have to get a wedding dress made and I don't have to worry about like a dowry because none of us have any money so let's do it that's great <laughs> it's so much simpler yeah so she was like you know what since i got paid today and it was such a wonderful day for me because richard said we should get married tomorrow i thought i'd make you a nice lunch so that you also have a little treat oh yeah so they're talking about that <clears throat> richard comes up and they have a conversation and he's also really hot by the way <laughs> Everybody's hot except for Trotty, I guess. Um, hey, that's not his name. Yeah, Jackie. <laughs> 
But anyway, the most important thing that happens next is that he's sitting on the the steps of this house having his lunch and the door opens and someone comes out and is like, how many times do I have to tell you not to sit on my steps? And they get really mad at him and he like kind of backs away with Meg and Richard. It's just a foot. But other people come out. So the footman comes out and then a couple of other gentlemen come out and he is, I guess, Alderman Cute. But it, apparently Cute meant like sharp, like a sharp mind. It didn't mean adorable. Yeah. And he was based on an actual politician in London at the time who was fancied himself like an advocate of the poor, but that really meant just like... Telling the poor to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Yeah. He's like, look, I love the poor. I tell them all the time that they just need to be better. So these people come out and they're like, ew, he's eating tripe. Gross. And the alderman picks up some of the last piece of tripe that Toby was like really, really wanting to to have. And he's like, this is disgusting. And then he eats it and is like, yep, I knew it was gross. And poor Trotty's just like, aw. Oh, yeah. oldest chick in the book. It's not so much that they're saying tripe is disgusting. It's too expensive for you to be eating. Yeah. And they're saying it's because... You have to boil it a lot and you lose a lot of the material. And they're saying it's so wasteful of you to be poor and dare to eat a wasteful food. Like It's his daughter's wedding day eve. <laughs> but also tripe was really cheap. So even though you do lose a lot of the volume when you're boiling it, it's still cheap. Like it's waste food. <laughs> I don't think it was a delicacy. Yeah, but then he thinks to himself, like, wow, I am so ashamed that I've been eating this this wasteful thing that when the guy finishes it, he says, I guess it's a relief to get rid of it. Poor Trotty. They're like, you stole this tripe out of the mouths of widows and orphans. <laughs> I wish I was there. I would punch those rich guys in the face. And I'm not kidding. Like, how dare you say that to an old man? Yeah. Well, if it's literally true, that is bad. It's not. Well, if he literally <laughs> stole it out of the mouth of an orphan, yes, that's bad. <laughs> But he didn't because um, his daughter's not an orphan. So he thinks to himself, oh, no, I was right. We can't do anything right. There's no good in us. We're born bad. So there are three rich guys who come out of the house and you have one guy who's obsessed with like numbers and he's using his math to prove that it's terrible for him and Meg to eat tripe and that it makes them bad people. And then you have Alderman Cute. He's the one who's going on and on about putting down the poor, right? Yeah. And I actually tried to Google and find out what putting down meant because even when I was reading about this story, people would say, so this guy that he's based on was a politician who was very big on putting down suicide. So he would say um, that was kind of his big mission. Like he was trying to get people to stop committing like the selfish sin of of self-destruction or whatever. But he wasn't doing anything to like make people's lives better. So that also kind of comes in here. But I couldn't figure out what the phrase putting down meant. Like, did he mean putting them in jail? Did he mean just criticizing it? It means like all, all of those things. Basically, partially like making them feel ashamed of themselves mm -hmm. and like putting them in their place. And part of that was like yeah. jailing them for tiny offenses and just being extremely critical. So that was his whole thing. Yeah. And that was part of his actual platform. Yeah. Yeah. That he's going to put down the poor. And then there's also a third rich guy who was just obsessed with saying like, oh, the good old days were amazing. Like today we live in degenerate times. The poor used to be awesome and now they all suck. <laughs> so those were their three perspectives. <laughs> yeah. They're also entitled. Like they think they deserve, you know, handouts basically. Uh. They're the ones who stole the tripe out of an old man's mouth. <laughs> Literally. Almost literally right yeah. out of his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even the guys like, I mean, gosh, this guy's a porter. 
porters used to be way better hundreds of years ago. <laughs> he says to his other rich jerk friends, it's the easiest thing on earth to deal with this sort of people if you can only understand him. And then Charles Dickens, the or the narrator, says, famous man for the common people, Alderman Q, never out of temper with them. Easy, affable, joking, knowing gentleman. So he's like, I, I understand the poor. We can, we can get down with each other. We get it. Yeah. And so the whole time they're doing this, so Toby's starting to feel really bad. He's thinking like, oh my gosh, he's right. Poor people are bad. All these three rich guys, they know what they're talking about. But then he thinks like, well, I don't want Meg to have to hear this. Like, I don't want them to talk to her. They, you know, they're going to be mean. So he's trying to signal to her to be like, go away, go away. Yeah, like even if they're right, I want her to keep her happiness. Yeah, Yeah. so he's signaling for her to go away, but they notice that he's doing that. And the alderman is like, now hang on, get on over here, young lady. And he brings her over (laughs) and he's like, is this your daughter? And he asks like, where's her mom? And and Toby's like, oh, she died when Meg was born. Yeah, she was a washerwoman, he says. Like, her, she got up linen, which I guess means, like, yeah, she, she like, washed clothes or something. And the alderman said, oh, I guess she's getting up linen in heaven, too, then. Whoa. Or he's, the way he phrases it is weird. Like, he's implying that she's— He's implying that there's no way that's happening, but he's also implying that it is happening. He's like, oh, surely she's not washing clothes in heaven. It's just weird. It's like, why would you say that to a guy about his dead wife? I don't know. Is he suggesting, like, oh, she's actually in heaven? <laughs> Because that's where everyone who washes clothes goes. <laughs> it all, I, what I get from it is he's saying that like, oh, even in heaven, there's there's some people still belong at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, there's some washerwoman quality to her. The narrator is like, if the alderman's wife had died, would he be thinking about his wife being like as mm-hmm. a part of society? Wow, judgy narrator. Well, the narrator's right. So he calls over Richard. He calls over Meg's fiance, Richard. And, and he says, and you're making love to her, are you? And Richard says, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, that's me. I'm the lovemaker. <laughs> you guys are fucking right. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure. And he says, oh, and we're going to be married. And then the three rich guys are like, oh, my God, you married. Like, that's terrible. Like, you guys are poor. You don't deserve to be married. When he says you're making love to her, he doesn't mean you guys are doing it. He means like, I know oh, you guys know. are like, you have a flirtation. I'm just saying for the audience. <laughs> but it's really funny to imagine it the other way. He wasn't literally saying in front of her dad, like, yeah, we're doing it. What of it? <laughs> yeah, and we're going to get married tomorrow, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but so so they're saying, are you freaking serious? You're poor and you're getting married? That's so stupid. And he has reasons for both of them. He tells Meg, like, he says, you're going to get married? That's very unbecoming and indelicate in one of your sex. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, what? It's okay for a man to get married? Well, who are you married to, Alderman Cute? Are you married to a man? No. Then I guess his wife's unbecoming and indelicate. But he says, Hmm. once you get married, you and your husband are going to quarrel and you'll be upset. And listen up. I put distressed wives down. So don't ever come in front of me. And you're going to have sons and they're going to grow up and be terrible and they'll run wild in the streets. And I'm going to convict them. And guess what I do with boys who run wild in the streets? I put them down too. I put them down. I put them down. He's like, and your husband will probably die young and you'll have a baby and then you'll have to wander up and down the streets. But if you wander near me with a baby, guess what I'm going to do? Where am I going to put you? (laughs) Guess where I'm going to put you? And he's like, and if you try to kill yourself, I will seriously put you down. Oh, no. So he's like, yeah, now we understand each other. And Meg is looking terrible. And then he's talking to her boyfriend, who's a blacksmith. And I was like, I hope this blacksmith punches him in the face. I really wanted a lot of people to punch people in the face in this story. (laughs) But he's like, why would you want to get married? You are so hot. If you marry her... 
then by the time you're middle-aged, she's going to be an old woman. Yeah, because of all the kids. Yeah, and then by the time you're a hot middle-aged guy, you're going to have a draggle-tailed wife and a bunch of kids crying after you everywhere. And he's like, no, get out of here. Thinking about getting married. Yeah, he's like, you're too hot to get married, son. Go on. (laughs) But as for me, I was far too ugly to think of staying single. So that's why I'm married, but you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so then he calls... Toby over, calls Trotty, and he says, how old are you? He says, I'm over 60. And he's like, oh, well, you are really greatly past the (laughs) average age. So I don't know what you're doing still alive. But here, carry this letter for me. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like they're bullies. The alderman was going to give Toby a shilling, but the guy who's obsessed with numbers, Mr. Filer, is like, look, if you give him a shilling, you're robbing some people of nine pence, half penny a piece. So just give him six pence. So then he like cuts Toby's wage in half. The porter starts to walk off and then he turns back and he's like, hey, by the way, take care of your daughter. She is much too handsome. And then Toby is thinking to himself like, I guess her good looks are probably stolen from someone else, too. She's been and robbed 500 ladies of a bloom apiece, I shouldn't wonder. (laughs) I wish I could just, like, rob beauty from people. (laughs) Yeah. Jackie, no. Why? That's not nice. Rachel. Look, if she's got 500 blooms, I could have two of them. Are you going to take some from Theo? No. Does Theo have a lot of blooms? I don't know. Well, the thing is, Jackie's in a relationship. I'm the one who needs the beauty. Well, Theo, you're much too hot to be in a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Is that what you wanted? (laughs) I think I would prefer to steal blooms from a woman. I don't want to look more and more like Theo. I feel like that would not go well with my goal. Well, I'm offended. I mean, you. Yeah. Well, he's offended. (laughs) I just flattered him, and then you offended him. That I don't want to look like a man. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So now. He's hearing the bells and where he used to hear encouragement, he's hearing the bells saying, put him down, put him down. Good old times. Good old times. Facts and figures. Facts and figures. Facts and figures. (laughs) He's like really upset. And then he trots away. Trot, trot, trot. Okay, so now we're going to do a Theo one. So Theo, you have to remind people of the stretch goal. Hey, everybody, stop talking. We have to do a patron shout out. We got a new patron. Yeah, woohoo! Was it part of our stretch goal? (laughs) Do we have a stretch goal? (laughs) (laughs) I see on my script here, there's mention of a stretch goal. Um, So yeah, we had a stretch goal. And the idea for the stretch goal that Jackie came up with, which is pretty brilliant, I would say, is that we would try to get three new patrons, one designated for each of us. So Rachel found her patron with Jeff, Jackie, Mm. (laughs) and then I recently received my patron. Y'all want to know what her name is? What is it? Yeah. Just first name only, please. Huishan. Woo! Yay! Huishan is my friend. We're assuming that Huishan is Theo's patron. She hasn't said that she is, but we kind of just assume. Oh, no. I asked her. But yeah, Huishan is a, guess what, great pianist. <laughs> I know. I could. T- that's how Typical. I knew she was Theo's because she has a piano in her profile picture. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's got to yeah, be Theo's literally. patron. <laughs> Every, yeah. Is there something about pianists that like y'all just really have like your money burning a hole in your pocket and you're like, I got to give this away. I got to give this away. <laughs> <laughs> well, people want to take piano lessons. Nobody wants composition lessons. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at you, everybody. Um, and she also likes the moon a lot. And uh, she's funny and she's going to paint me a painting. Does she like Good Night Moon? Oh, I don't know. I should <laughs> ask her about that. Has she said anything about the podcast or me and Jackie? Yeah, she likes it. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> nice. Thank you to our newest patron. Huishan. Huishan. Thank you. And guys, if you don't want to leave Jackie hanging like this. Please, please, somebody help me. You better hurry because the longer... 
we go without a Jackie patron, the more humiliating it is. For <laughs> <laughs> Did you know this could be a possibility, Jackie, when you suggested it? Oh, I no, I absolutely knew this was going to happen because you guys have very supportive friends. <laughs> oh, we're looking at you, Jackie's friends. <laughs> no, my friends don't listen to the podcast, so they're never going to hear this. That's the thing. What about Lee? He's already a patron. Uh, All right. Well, anyway, thank you so much to everyone who's patronizing us already. And we can't wait to see who steps up to the plate for Jackie. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks guys so much. And check us out next time. Back to the episode. Swing it low. That's my sign off. All right. Second quarter. Second quarter. So he's taking this letter over to, uh, who is he taking it to? Joseph Boley. Sir Joseph Boley. Yeah. So he goes to a very rich area of town and he takes it into the house and he's like, oh man, this is so different how they live over here. Like they're so much better than us. Wait, can I read the thing that he says? (laughs) Or were you going to? Divide the lively turtles. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. So he's looking around and admiring how rich everyone is. He goes, divide the lively turtles and the bills of mortality by the number of gentlefolks able to buy them. And whose share does he take but his own as to snatch? tripe from anybody's mouth he'd scorn it what divide the lively turtles in the bills of mortality it took me forever to read the story because i was like what the hell is he saying like every other sentence i'm like what does this mean (laughs) the book that i have is annotated they did not explain what that means they'll get it they'll get it (laughs) i wish mine was annotated self-evident were there turtles printed on paper money lively turtles I'm going to look it up. He's shuffling along. He gets to the house and um, a porter opens the door and he says, you're supposed to take this letter in yourself. Come on in now. And so he comes in to the house and there's a beautiful library and the man is sitting at the desk with all these files and papers. And then there's um, a very stately lady in a bonnet there. And so that's uh, Sir and Lady Bowley. Okay. So he's talking to Sir Joseph. So Sir Joseph is saying, do I have to pay you for this? Because he's a porter and sometimes you pay on receipt. Mm -hmm. So he's like, do I have to pay you? Because at the end of every year, I always make sure I don't owe anyone any money so that if I die, my affairs are in order. And his, I guess his very young wife is like, my dear sir, how shocking. (laughs) And he's like, oh, no, no, no. This is just how it is. (laughs) He said, we should feel that every return of so eventful a period in human transactions involves a matter of deep moment between a man and his banker. And he's talking about, you know, the new year. So anyway, they're talking about like a particular charity that they donate to. And at the time, depending on how much you donate to a charity, they let you vote on what the charity does. And they're like, I can't believe it. They're only going to give us this many votes for this amount of money. So anyway, they're just talking some more. And his wife is like, well, everyone knows, Sir Joseph, you're the poor man's friend. And he's like, of course I am. I'm, I'm awesome. And he's just going on and on about how he's the poor man's friend And that he's like, I assume a paternal character toward my friend. I say, my good fellow, I will treat you paternally. Mm -hmm. And he's like saying, nobody gets to say anything to a poor man in my district. I'm the guy's only friend. I'm the one who gets to decide how they're treated here. Yeah. And his wife is like, God, you're so great. And he says, yeah, I don't expect anything in return because ingratitude is known to be the sin of that class. Yeah, this is just (laughs) how poor people are. They're ungrateful. But Toby is like, feeling oh this is awesome this guy's my friend (laughs) and he talks about like toby you should just listen to me i am your perpetual parent that's how i am for all poor people 
And then, you know, you're going to live hard and temperately and raise your kids and you'll die pretty soon. And then I'll be your kids and your grandkids parent as well. And then he mentions there's a guy named Will Fern who's out there doing something I don't like. And I can't wait to get him and put him down. Oh, gosh. Right. He's telling because the letter from the alderman, I think, is like, hey, I've got this Will Fern guy. Can I put him down? And Sir Joseph is like, please, by all means, put that guy down. I keep thinking of like putting down a baby for a nap or something. Like, yeah, please tuck him in. Kiss him on the forehead. Have a good nap. Right. But no, that's not what it means. And he says basically what's happened is that Will Fern, he came to London to try to find a job and he had to sleep in a shed and someone found him in the shed and he got arrested. And the alderman is like, I'm, I want to put him down. Is that cool? And the lady's like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, because I tried to teach poor people a song and like teach them how to do some like uh, it's basically making lace, I guess, as a job. And it was like a song about how awesome it is for poor people to know their true station in life. And that Will Fern said to her, like, politely said, like, I humbly ask your pardon, but anti something different from a great girl, which I guess girls were the ones who did all this lace making. And so he's just wondering that. But so she's like, yeah, he's insolent and ungrateful. So time to put him down. Time to put him down. Mm-hmm. All right. So Trotty gets all that. He leaves. He gives him a letter to take back, right? Yeah. A letter that's like, yeah, put that dude down. So he says to Trotty, like, all right, now, since I have settled all of my debts, can you say that you have also made your preparation for the new year? And Trotty goes, um, well, actually, I'm a little behind with the rent. And he's like, oh, how dare you? And he said, I'm sorry. It's just that I, I owe 20, 10 or 12 shillings to Mrs. Chicken Stalker, which is apparently a, a shop. She's like a greengrocer, basically. Or sells everything, I guess. And he's like, and I'm also a little bit behind on rent, but not much. And he's like, oh, that is awful. Like, how could you, like, be an old man and lay down at night and not even have your affair settled? Like, you should be ashamed. Anyway, take this letter. Yeah, so now he's feeling even worse. He's awful. Yeah, so he doesn't say, like, oh, let me help you. Toby tried to be like, look, we've had hard times this year. Like, a few bad things have happened to us. That's why. And the guy's like, it doesn't matter. So his friendship to the poor is just, you know— giving them advice, which is awful advice. So, mm-hmm. oh, poor little guy. So he he trudges his hat down on his head and runs back over and, well, he trots right into somebody <laughs> who was walking in the road because he was just like hurrying along with his hat pulled low. And he says, oops, I'm sorry. And he looks up and he sees a tanned, strong looking man with a beard and grizzled hair and he's carrying a little girl. And Trotty thinks, okay, well, I know I'm really tiny and this man's huge, but I do have a pretty good opinion of myself and I wouldn't want to be rude. So I said, so he says to him, did, did I hurt you? And he's like, no, you, you didn't hurt me. <laughs> um, Definitely which not. I thought was very cute. So they get to talking a little bit and the man says to Trotty, can you, uh, by the way, just tell me where Alderman Cute lives? And he's like, oh, sure, I'll show you his house right now. And then Toby thinks to himself, wait a second, could you be Will Fern? And he's like, oh yeah. The guy says- well, you know, I, I was going to go see him tomorrow, but I'm under suspicion right now and I want to clear myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go to his house. They don't call me Will Fern for nothing. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Yeah. Then he's like, wait a second. Are you Will Fern? <laughs> yeah. He says, yep, that's me. And, he, and then Trotty goes, well, hold on, hold on. You can't go there. He's going to put you down here. Come with me. And so he takes him home and brings him to his little house that he shares with his daughter, Meg. And, and he carries the little girl, right? Yeah. Yeah. He basically like kidnaps them. He like takes the little girl and he's like you're coming with me and then he takes Will Fern by the hand and like trots him back to his house which I was just like I, you know I guess that was a thing people did back then 
And he's like, look, I don't have a a great, you know, house or anything like that. Like, I'm not a rich man, but like, I can at least keep you safe and you're not going to get arrested tonight with this little girl. So he brings him back to the house and... um, Wilfred's like, I mm -hmm. wouldn't mind going to jail for myself, but the problem is I've got this kid with me now. Yeah. And it's it's his brother's child. She's an orphan. She's nine years old and her name is Lillian. And so he has to take care of her. She's very pretty. Very cute. Very, very pretty and cute. Yeah, very pure little girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he picks her up and, like, takes her. And the guy's like, are you sure you can carry a nine-year-old girl? Like, is she too heavy for you? And he's like, oh, no, no, she's very light. She's light as a feather. I can carry anything, yeah. Lighter than a peacock's feather. She's <laughs> even lighter than that. I can carry anything. It's fine. That's a pretty heavy feather, to be honest, like, in terms of the lightness <laughs> of feathers. Because those things, yeah, they're hefty. Um, so he brings her in and brings Wilfern in and he's like, Hey Meg, bring up the kettle and everything. And then, so Meg takes little Lillian and like warms her up and brushes her hair and washes her face. And they're so grateful. Yep. And the dad, so Trotty's like, Oh, you know, I saw that we had some tea and, and some bacon, but I don't know exactly where it is in the house. So I'm going to go look for it. But then instead of looking, he leaves and quickly goes to Mrs. Chicken Stalkers and then like buys the tea and bacon and brings it back. And he's like, oh, yes, I was right. We've got it. So let's get this stuff ready. And then he tells them, you know, what's so weird about me is I don't like tea and bacon, but I really like for other people to enjoy them in front of me. But I don't like them. (laughs) So they make the tea and the bacon. And he's like, yeah, look, I'll eat like a little bit of bacon. And he he eats like breaks off a tiny bit of bacon. And it says like he obviously enjoyed it a lot. And then he's like, yeah, I was just trying that to be sure that I don't like bacon. And I don't. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Poor little guy. So he gives them all the all the food that he can't even afford. And then they all go to bed. And Toby sits up in front of the fire in his chair and he's hearing the bells, the bells, the bells, the terrible bells. So then he starts reading a newspaper again and the newspaper has a story about a woman who killed her child and then herself. Because they were too poor. Yeah, and that it it hurt him even more than usual because his soul was like filled with so much love for Meg and the little girl right now so that when he read that he just... He couldn't believe it. And he's like, oh, my gosh, people must be born bad and have no business to be alive if they could do something like that. That's proof that everything everyone was saying to me today is true. Just poor people are bad. Mm -hmm. So then he starts hearing the bells ringing and the bells, uh, they always say, you know, different things to him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And tonight what he hears in their chimes is, Toby Vec, we're waiting for you. We're waiting for you. Come and see us. Drag him to us. Haunt and hunt him. Haunt and hunt him. Break his slumbers. Toby Vec, come here. Come here. So he's like, Meg, do you hear anything? And she's like, oh, just the bells. And he's like, what are they saying? She's like, oh, nothing. They're just sounding like bells. And he's like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool, cool. So then he's (laughs) like, well, I'm going to go see the bells. So he kind of sneaks out and says, I'll go to church. There's nothing to be afraid of. I know it's the middle of the night. Oh, God. But uh, I'll just go anyway. (laughs) Yeah, we know how creepy they are. Does he know about the wind? Well, he's going to. So he goes in and it's pitch black and Toby's like feeling his way in the darkness and like climbing up and up and up and he gets to the top and it's so windy it says he could hardly keep his legs but he found a place where he could like hold on to something and kind of look down and he's in the belfry and he's holding on to like the bell rope. It's very disorienting. There's wind and dark and he's like what's going on and he calls out and his own voice starts echoing and he faints down in a swoon. 
Yeah. So now we're in the third quarter. Now this starts out pretty beautifully. So I have no idea what it means, but black are the brooding clouds and troubled the deep waters when the sea of thought first heaving from a calm gives up its dead. Monsters, uncouth and wild, arise in premature, imperfect resurrection. What do you think of that, Theo? Monster time. Mm. Monster time. And yeah, now a bunch of monsters show up. It says that where he is now, there are dwarf phantoms, spirits, elfin creatures of the bells, and they're like swooping and flying around. It says young, old, kind, cruel, merry, grim. They're dancing, they're singing, they're tearing their hair, they're howling. They're just like flying all over the place. Mm. I had trouble like picturing this in my head. So I imagined, and I'm not trying to do this to be annoying, but I am annoying because I'm going to do it anyway. But I imagine (laughs) that scene from The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh gosh. When oh they're in the gosh. in the mines of Moria and all of the little they're not Urukai orcs, are they're like the little goblins that live in Moria and they're like ee! and they're like all running up and down the pillars, you know what I mean? I imagine something like that. Oh gosh. They did that? Well, so, some of them are are good-looking goblins. They're not all like little Ooh. I know, but I'm imagining them, them all just like many sizes of them and just like skittering all around and flying in the air like it's a lot it's a lot going on and he wakes up and he's like what yeah and it says he he can see them in houses (laughs) yeah in houses i know it's very confusing and that they're like they're messing with people he says he sees he saw one buckling on innumerable wings to increase his speed another loading himself with chains and weights some like messing with clocks making them go forward in time back stopping the clock and then they're just all over the place just kind of messing with people yeah he sees visions like he's in the church but he sees visions of them like now they're at a marriage now they're at a funeral now they're like running around over here now they're messing with people while they sleep like they're just doing all kinds of stuff he's like oh my god I I thought this was just a church like what's going on and finally he sees (laughs) like each bell has a goblin I guess like a big figure of the bell so one of them says is gigantic grave and darkly watchful of him so now they're talking about the goblin of the bell so the bells start talking to him and he's like oh I came because I thought I heard the chimes calling me and I've been listening to them for years and they always cheer me up and the bells ask like well did you thank them and he says yes and they go on and on. They're like, you've never done anything wrong to us. And he's like, no, I don't I don't think so. And they say, are you sure? And he's like, uh, <laughs> maybe. Did he strike and He's them? like, well, if I did, I didn't mean to. This is just exactly like the, the time when I was in the grocery store and the woman was like, I heard you call me sir. And I was like, I really didn't think I did. <laughs> the bells are like, do I look like a man to you? <laughs> I'm a goblin. <laughs> I'm a goblin. So anyway, they're like, look, if you hear anybody talking about how they wish it were the past again and it's like they're hoping that you know humanity may pine and wither you do us wrong and and they say that wrong you have done us and he's like oh i have he had no idea and they say like if you hear in our voice the voice of the putters down Mm -hmm. then you've done us wrong (laughs) and he's like oh man i did that too but i didn't mean it and they say last and most of all whoever turns their back upon the fallen of his kind and abandons them as vile and grasps to some old idea of of a great past does wrong to heaven and man and you have done us that wrong he's like oh shoot spare me spare me what are they gonna do their bells okay but anyway so he's really he's really upset about it and the bells say like okay listen up He hears a dirge and he's like, oh my gosh, Meg is dead. I can hear her spirit. Oh God. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. And they're like, go to her. So thus begins basically like a Christmas Carol-esque like vision of what could be. Yeah. But Uh. is it real? And then they say to him like, actually, you died nine years ago, Trotty. You've been dead for a while. (laughs) And look at what's going to happen. Yeah. Now he gets brought back and he sees uh, Lillian, who is Will Fern's niece, and he sees Meg and she's asleep. Well, Lillian is like his guide. One of the bells is taking the shape of the child and kind of guiding him through this. And so he sees his own self lying at the bottom of the church and apparently he has fallen from the top and been killed. And he sees his own body and he says, oh my God, dead. And all the bells together say, dead. Dead. (laughs) And he says, oh my gosh. And the new year, the figures say, past. And so he's like, what What happened? Like, did I fall off the tower? And they said, yeah, nine years ago you fell off the tower. What the heck is his body still doing down there? <laughs> I guess they're showing him a vision. Yeah, it's weird. He sees, so he like goes home and he sees Meg and her face, like she's still pretty, but she has no hope in her eyes anymore. And Meg and Lillian are interacting and it's just pretty sad because it's just like Bob Cratchit's wife like she's sewing in the dark and her eyes are bad but she has to keep working because she has no money so he's like oh this is really sad and Lily the young Lily in the scene is saying like oh you know you're not making me sad you're the best thing in my whole life and the only thing that made me want to live and I just feel bad that you have to work so hard all the time basically And then she says, you're so good, Meg. I'm so bad. Like, I wish someone would free me from the dreadful thoughts that tempt me in my youth. And then the spirit takes him away and they fly somewhere else. And now they're at um, Bowley Hall, which is the place he had delivered the message earlier in the day. So Sir and Lady Bowley. And they're having a a New Year's Day celebration because Lady Bowley was, her birthday is January 1st. So this is like her birthday party and also a New Year's party. Mm -hmm. I think we can skip over most of this, right? But basically they're just saying a bunch of all awful stuff about the poor again. Yeah, seriously. And Alderman Cute is there and yeah, they talk about like how um one guy shot himself and they're like, "What? That's crazy. He had plenty of money." Yeah, why would you shoot yourself when you have so much money? Something happened. His son ran wild and like used all the money and Anyway, that's Mm -hmm. why it happened. So I just don't know why that was included, really. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. So then Trotty says to himself, like, wait, I haven't seen Richard yet. Like, what became of Richard? Is he still alive? What's going on? So then he's still at this celebration and someone else comes in and he's like, is it Richard? And he's like, no, it's not Richard. It's Will Fern. No. And Will Fern says... I want to talk to you guys. Let me talk. And he's looking old. Yeah, he's looking terrible. He's like, I have, to, I have to say something. And they're like, you just came out of jail. And he's like, yeah, I did just come out of jail. Not for the first time or the second or the third or the fourth. He <laughs> says, look, I have been... I've been in jail a lot. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who are just having a vision that started right here. <laughs> yeah, I just I just want to let you know what's been happening with me for the past nine years. So he says, <laughs> I was arrested because I was living in this awful house. I tried to live elsewhere and I'm a vagabond. So you guys said, okay, put him in jail. So I come back here and I went into your woods to try to like get some nuts to eat. And I accidentally broke a couple of branches and you sent me to jail. And then you saw me in the broad daylight near my own patch of garden with a gun. I got sent to jail. Okay, now I come back and I'm angry with that man. I see the guy who put me in jail and I say something rude to him. <laughs> to jail with me. I cuts a stick. To jail with him. I eats a rotten apple. To jail with him. So everything he does, he oh comes out of jail and he like tries to just get himself back on his feet. But every action he takes to try to improve his life gets him sent back to jail again. That's amazing. And the alderman I, okay. is like, that's great because jail is a great place to be. <laughs> Can I just say that 
that whole sequence of him saying all those reasons he went to jail, it convinced me that this should be a musical. Like that would be a great song. Right? Yeah. Let's yeah. Because he's like, I eat the turnip, and everyone, the chorus is like, to jail, jail with him. Like that. <laughs> to jail with him. Jail, yeah. jail. Yeah. Everyone goes to jail. <laughs> so he also he says, like, at this point in my life, you can't hurt me or harm me. There was a time when you could have done me good, but that time is gone with the scent of last year's beans or clover on the air. <laughs> and I thought to myself, what does what do beans smell like? <laughs> the scent of last year's beans. <laughs> and that would smell pretty bad. So, but he says, look, I'm not saying this to help me. I'm saying this that to teach you guys a lesson about how to treat the poor. And he says, look, you need to give us better homes and better food and kinder li- kinder laws and don't just give us jail all the time. That's not going to help. <laughs> wow. This is timely, is it not? Oh. Prison industrial system. He says all of that. And obviously they don't love it. Like there's a big stir and agitation. And at then, um, at this time, then Trotty gets taken away again and he gets brought back to another vision of Meg. And this is an even worse vision than before. So she's like Like in an even poorer looking room. And now Lillian's not there anymore. And he's like, oh no, what happened? So Meg is there alone looking very old and very poor. There's a knock on the door and it's Richard. He looks terrible. Yeah, he looks awful. He's drunk. He's slurring. He's very poor and dirty. Yeah. He says, look, I am bringing a message from Lillian. And she's like, what do you mean, Lillian? Oh my gosh, I haven't seen her in so long. And he says, yeah, I saw her in the street. She came and gave me this letter. She wanted me to give it to you. And she says, I don't want that letter. I want Lillian. When you see her again, Richard, tell her that I love her and that she needs to come and be here with me. So basically, Lillian is working the streets. Lillian's turned to prostitution at this point. Oh, God. I know. And it's some money from Lillian. And he's like, she really wants you to take this. She says, like, you know, tell her. I can't take that money from Lillian. Like, But yeah, yeah, so Lillian's saying, like, I'm doing this for Meg. Please give this money to her. And Meg's like, no, I can't. You've got to take it back to her. And he's like, okay, all right, bye. So then she sits back down and it's night and she's like doing her mending by a tiny bit of fire. So she, it's, she's like ruining her eyes. So then- the chimes start ringing and then there's another knock at the door. And it's Lillian. She's like, oh my gosh, Lillian, it's so good to see you. I love you. And she's like, oh, come here, give me a hug. And then Lillian is saying, like, when I first looked into your face, you knelt before me on my knees before you let me die. And then she's like slumping onto the floor and Meg is saying, no, 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 we're going to live together. We'll be happy. And she's like, ah, Meg, kiss my lips, press me to your bosom, but don't raise me. Okay, I'm dying now. And then she dies. Like, that's so rude. Just be like, hey, can I come in? Gonna, oh, can you hold me? Oh, dead. Dead. <laughs> Time to die. It's like, it's like that um, that video from the Glenn Beck show where that guy, you know, passes out and he's like, I'm passing out. And Glenn Beck is like, are, are, are you okay? And he's like, passing out. I've never Gone. seen that. You've never <laughs> seen that? Oh my about? God. It's like my favorite video. Okay, we're going to watch it. We're we'll watch, watch it later. He, but he says to him very confidently, like, I'm passing out. And then he does. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's what cool. Lillian Chad does to Meg. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. at the time that Lillian is here in the room, the spirit Lillian has disappeared. And then when the Lillian in the room dies, spirit Lillian comes back, touches Trotty, and then is like, come on, let's go. So now we're on to the fourth and final quarter. 
This is the start of the fourth quarter. So he sees the old porter he had talked to before. And for some reason, they're being introduced now. And there's like many pages of them having a conversation. And the porter has gotten married. And these are the Tugbees. He's married Mrs. Chickenstalker. He's married Mrs. Chickenstalker. So they have lots and lots of food and good things. And then he sees another vision of Meg. Now, Meg, in this vision, has married Richard in an attempt to save him from himself. But unfortunately, it didn't work. He has died. And he, she has been left with a baby. Oh, no. So he sees Meg and the baby and he's like, oh, my God, she loves the baby. She loves the baby so much. She's such a good mom. And he's so excited. But then... He sees her take the baby, leave the room, and she hasn't told anybody about, like, how, like, what a bad state she's in, basically. Like, she's not asking for any help. Jackie, so the thing that connects these two scenes is that the Tugbees are talking about Meg and Richard. And she's saying, Mm -hmm. oh, I knew them in the past, and he used to be a handsome, steady, manly, independent youth. She was the sweetest-looking, sweetest-tempered girl I ever saw. And I also knew her dad. He, of course, was sleepwalking and fell off the church steeple and died. But he was a great guy, too. Explaining everything. So that's kind of the connection. (laughs) I'd love it if somebody said that about me after I died. Sleepwalking and fell off the steeple. (laughs) Great guy, though. Great guy, but terrible in the nighttime. (laughs) Yeah. So they're kind of, they're just talking about Megan Richard. He's not seeing them. He's hearing them talk about what's going on. The two of them, they got married together. They were so in love, and I thought things were going to go great. And they had Lillian, and they raised Lillian. And unfortunately, what had happened was after these guys were so rude to him, he fell into bad habits, and he started drinking and just feeling terrible and like he shouldn't get married. But then eventually he was like, oh, no, I should get married. I love Meg. So he married Meg, and unfortunately he was good for a little while— But then he fell back into his bad habits from before. And that's why he got sick. It looks like, yeah, that he He drank himself to death, I guess. And so he ended up, I guess he died on her 19th birthday. And now that she's got the baby and a dead husband, she can't even work at all. Because her husband, Mr. Tugby, had said something like, oh, somebody isn't paying their rent. Should we kick them out? And she's like, no, I would never kick her out. Mm -hmm. So that's why, that's what's going on going on and now they're like floating up at this point now they're floating up into Meg's room and she looks terrible and the baby looks terrible but she clearly loves the baby and Trotty is really happy about it so she's looking around walking around with the baby like looking for work she just needs some money and nobody will give her money and she's not asking for any help except that sometimes she doesn't have to pay rent I guess but that's it So anyway, so Will shows up and he sees the baby and he asks her like, oh, you know, what's the baby's name? And it's Lillian's. He's telling her that he's going to die as well. So he goes in. He says, I'm about to die. Please like say goodbye. Hold my hand and forget about me from now on because she says, what have you done? And he says, I set the city on fire. He did. Oh, is that what he's saying? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty extreme. I know. So he says, when you see the sky on fire, so it's going to be too far away. Like, it's not going to come to you. Like, you'll be safe, basically. But when you see, like, the redness in the sky, remember what a hell was lighted up inside of me. That's what it seems like he's saying. Because she's like, what have you done? What have you done? And he said, there's going to be a fire tonight all around the city. He's crazy. (laughs) So at this point, he's like, all right, bye. 
fly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she's walking around with her baby. It's hungry. She can't soothe it. So she takes the baby. She goes down to the river and Trotty is like following her around as a spirit and he can't touch her and he can't do anything. And she's just repeating to himself, like, she loves it. She loves it. She loves the baby. And the chimes are saying, follow her. So he follows her down. She is standing on the banks of the river getting ready to jump in. And he's he's freaking out because he can't do anything. And he's he's stretching out his hands and he can't touch them. And she's he's saying, I was her father. I was her father. Have mercy on her. Turn her back. Please make her turn back. He realizes he's saying this is a terrible crime she's going to commit, but we know but it's coming from her love for the baby. Yeah. So it's hearkening her back. Her life has been so miserable. Any loving mother might do this if she lived the same life that Meg is living. Yeah, to keep the baby from suffering further um, because she can't provide for her. And it's hearkening back to that story he read in the newspaper about the woman who killed herself and her child. So she takes the little baby and she gives it a little final kiss and then she starts to step into the river. She pauses for a little moment before jumping in and Trotty says, okay, I learned my lesson. I did it. I learned it. Save her, save her. And so the bell's do. Um, and he gets to come back and be a person again. Yeah. He's saying, I get it now. Even though things seem bad, I realize that everyone, like basically everyone is good. It's just their circumstances that do these things to them and cause them to act like this. Mm-hmm. And then the bells start chiming and he wakes up. I'm confused why he was the one who needed to learn the lesson. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, I was going to kind of say that I feel like, yeah, this whole thing, like he's a poor guy who's just been beaten down by the world and they take him and make him see all these awful things. And then they're like, see, this is your fault that you're sad. Yeah. The bells are just Alderman cute again. Yeah. I mean, remind me, he, the bells showed him all these visions because he didn't stick up for poor people when the rich people were bullying him. Because he got discouraged by what the rich people were saying. (laughs) How dare you? He started to think that poor people were bad. But so, so anyway, he wakes up and Meg is like, dad, don't eat tripe ever again because you have been talking in your sleep like crazy. Oh, <laughs> some bad meat. Yeah. Wasn't that what Scrooge thought the first ghost was? Just some spoiled meat in his stomach. Yeah. Oh yeah. He did think it was like a bad bit of hamburger or something. Yeah. So she's like getting her one little outfit cued it up for the wedding like putting some ribbons on it and he like runs over to give her a hug and then all of a sudden he hears a voice that says oh no the first kiss of meg in the new year is mine i've been waiting outside the house to claim her kiss as soon as the bells ring and here comes richard (laughs) he was just hanging out until a bell rang so he could rush in and smooch his sweetheart don't kiss your dad don't kiss your dad it's mine mine. please (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) how embarrassing uh i think we can speed through the last part basically everybody's happy Trotty's like, he's happy. He's hugging them. He's like, woohoo, you're getting married. <laughs> this is awesome. And, um, fire it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then in another part of the city, Will Fern wakes up and is like, I didn't set the whole city on fire. <laughs> yeah, right. There's so many lessons happening all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so Meg is like, yeah, Richard didn't feel bad at, from what the alderman said. In fact, he would have put the alderman down, but I had to stop him. And he's like, ho, ho, ho. Yeah. What a, you know, that's fine. It's just going on and on. He sees like, he sees Lillian and Will Fern. They're doing great. Everyone is outside, like, yelling, Happy New Year 
Mr. Meg, happy wedding to you. Many of them. And then guess what? <laughs> Somebody comes up and they're like, well, who could that be? And Trotty goes, it's Mrs. Chicken Stalker. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! <laughs> Mrs. Chicken Stalker's here. Now it's a party. So Mrs. Everyone's <laughs> favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and he accidentally calls her Mrs. Tugby because he's remembering his dream. And he goes, Mrs. Tug, I mean, Mrs. Chicken Stalker. <laughs> so she turned very pale and very red. Yeah. Why did she do that? Because he called her Mrs. Tugby. I guess maybe he's she's been hooking up with him or something. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe. Well, it says she turns pale and very red because she's like, this, he says, this is William Fern and Lillian. And she turns pale and red and then says, not Lillian, who's Fern, whose mother died. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> well, this is suspicious. When she's like, this is Lillian, whose mother died, and she turns pale, it's like, what, did you kill her mother? Did you are you? Why are you acting this way? Yeah. Like, did you try to kill Lillian and fail? If you're in London, why would you hear about a little girl's mom dying in Dorsetshire? Surely people die all the time. Why would you be like, no, the girl with a dead mom? I prefer to imagine, and maybe this is even the right thing, that, you know, he's, he calls her Mrs. Tugby and then catches himself and is like, oop, you're not Mrs. Tugby yet. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't like Tugby. He made Meg try to kill herself in the vision. (laughs) He'll have his own vision that corrects him. He'll be fine. (laughs) He'll have his own vision later. (laughs) Yeah. He gets a vision. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Mrs. Chicken Stalker is like talking to Will Fern and she takes him by both hands and is like holding the baby. Is she going to get together with Will Fern now instead of Tugby? (laughs) I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Anyway, so now Will and Trotty are like, we're friends now. It's great. What good friends we are. So they're hearing the chimes and the music and everyone's happy. They're all dancing. Yeah. And then there's a little part at the end where the narrator does like a Midsummer Night's Dream thing where, you know, so he has someone, he explicitly says, was it a dream? Was it a dream within a dream? Like, which is real? Who can say? Happy New Year. (laughs) That's how it ends. Is the teller of the tale a dreamer waking but now? Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, look, regardless of if it's dreams or not dreams, try to correct, improve, and soften your sphere. Be nice to everyone, he says, so may the new year be a happy one to you and happy to many more whose happiness depends on you. So may each year be happier than the last and not the meanest of our brethren or sisterhood debarred their rightful share in what our great creator formed them to enjoy. God bless us, everyone. That's his follow-up to A Christmas Carol. (laughs) God, weird. This poor guy. Trotty didn't do anything wrong. Scrooge was awful. Scrooge needed to learn a lesson. First of all, number one, I do want us to turn it into a musical. Number two, fire it if it's in the canon. Get it out. <laughs> the musical would be good because I, I was thinking, yeah, you get the song about I went to prison a thousand times. Also, the Goblin song would be pretty good. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're goblins or are we bells? Like that. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll, we'll workshop it. Um, yeah, there's some other good ones. And then, okay, so Alderman Cute's eating the tripe and he's like, this tripe is too rich for you. I'm going to eat it myself. And then I'm imagining song. that, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to eat it myself. Trotty wakes up. Meg is like, don't ever eat that again. It gave you really weird dreams. Meanwhile, across the city, Alderman Cute wakes up and is like, what the hell happened to me? Oh, it's the tripe. I forgot. I shouldn't have eaten tripe. <laughs> yeah. Tripe will always get you. Yep. God, it just seems. Well, it's clearly the same guy who wrote A Christmas Carol. It's just somebody like shook up his brain in between these two stories. It's all just... that Italian food messed with him. <laughs> it's a Dada poem. That's what it is. Like they took the Christmas Carol, shook it up, and it was like, Bleh! And here it <laughs> yeah, is. Right. Um, well, that would be great. We should get Jackie to eat the entire Christmas Carol. Eat it? Yeah. I think that's what she does now. Yeah. 
eat it and then throw it up. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. No, so I mean, the lesson of the story is basically the next time that you want to get mad at Jeff Bezos about how your life is bad, keep in mind that it's your own pessimism that's making it bad. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, okay, so weirdly, the book was like extremely popular. It says some people liked the book and they liked his message. Some people thought it was dangerously radical. What's radical about it? The radical part is him saying, burn down the city if you're mad at it. <laughs> system, bad systems create bad people. Mm. So instead of like with Scrooge, Scrooge is just one asshole who learns to be good. Mm. Whereas in this novella, this is society's problem. If poor people are bad, yeah, it's because society has betrayed them. Like Meg is a great person. Richard's great. Will is great. Lillian's great. But all of them are driven to commit crimes because they have no other choice. They never get a break. Yeah. They feel like they have yeah. no other choice. So this is a better message than The Christmas Carol. <laughs> exactly. I'm saying this is a terrible book. story. But OK, we've gotten the lesson of The Christmas Carol. We got it. People are all about charity at Christmas time. OK, we learned it. We don't need that one anymore. We need this one. Yeah. We need people to understand this story. But he should have made it less freaking confusing. <laughs> he should have done a better job because The Christmas Carol is just it's like so crisp and clean. You know what I mean? Like, And it's funny and it's enjoyable to read. It makes so much sense sense the way that it's organized you're like okay i'm going to the past going to the present going to the future perfect no notes this one it's like you're going to the present but you've died nine years ago okay now you're going to a different present now you're going to the future now you're going to a different version of that like what right in this one megan richard got married in this one richard's already dead but there's a baby but whose baby is it is it lillian's baby is it her baby in this one I lillian's a prostitute in this one there's no lillian we don't know what's up with her yeah also the characters don't seem as clearly uh you know sculpted i think toby is a good character but that's about it yeah. Like, where's the Tiny Tims? Where's the the candle monster or whatever it was? Where's the Bob Cratchit with his comforter wrapped around his neck? <laughs> yeah. Candle monster. Where, where's the where's the sneaky game where they turn the lights out and fondle each other? What was that? Blind man's <laughs> yeah, buff. Yeah, it's basically that. Well, I mean, I wonder if that's kind of the point. Because in The Christmas Carol, we got to see the poor family and we love the poor family. Because like, mm. oh, they're poor, but they're so good and they love each other. And, you know, what's important is that you have good feelings towards people. But in this one, you really can't can't love the poor people because they tried to be good. They don't have consistent characterization. <laughs> well, that, but also, like, they're just having such a bad time that there's nothing cute that you can find. Like, there's no cute right. moment where it's like, they, you it's know, true. they're poor, but they got their pudding and they did their best. In this, it's just like... And I think this is a lot better because in the past one, it's like, yeah. be nice to poor people because they're all awesome. Yeah. And they're still happy <laughs> even though they're poor, but you should just make their lives even better. But this one, it's like, no, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if the poor people are nice or hot. We need to do better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even even if one of them is turned to prostitution and one of them is like drank himself into despair, like, you know, it's you have to be good to them anyway. <laughs> and yeah. not just on yeah. an individual level. You have to support the system. Can I also just complain about one more thing? Yeah, please. If you're going to put goblins in the title, they got to do more than what they did. <laughs> I mean, there were yeah. a lot of pages of describing the goblins that we, there was no reason for us to like just describe all the goblins, but there were a ton of There are a of lot of goblin descriptions, yeah, but they don't actually do very much. There's just the <laughs> conversation between him and the bell goblins where they're like, yeah. how dare you 
be discouraged. <laughs> but okay, here's my problem. In A Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. the problem within the book is solved by the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And it teaches a lesson outside of that. In The Chimes, we learn a lesson, but the problems in the book are not solved at all. The problems are because of the society, but also these individual rich guys who have a lot of power in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And all that's happened is that Trotty, the individual, has been taught a lesson. Right. But he has no power. Well, here's the thing. Maybe Maybe we should be taking a different lesson from this because I always say to myself, I can't do anything like I don't have any power. I can't change society. I'm just one person. But we all need to decide to change society. Right. Mm. So time to rise up. This is a New Year's message from Fire the Cannon. Laborers unite. Set London on fire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Be a total Will Fern. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to all get together in a big complex. We're all going to eat tripe and we're just going to see what happens. I'm not going to eat tripe. It's tripe time. It's like the don't eat the Kool-Aid, but or don't drink the Kool-Aid, but don't eat the tripe. Honestly, I've had tripe before, like in pho. It doesn't taste like anything. It just tastes, it's just kind of rubbery. Because it's been boiled for so long. Well, how do you feel about that, Theo? You stole that right out of the mouth of an orphan. Mm -hmm. That made it all the sweeter. (laughs) You do love sweetness. That's your favorite flavor. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, the the book, it made a lot of references to current events, like the newspaper article about the woman who killed her baby. That's a real person. And there was like a lot of public discussion about it. Dickens was one of the people who was like, no, she should not be sentenced to death because she tried to kill herself. Didn't work. Didn't work. But the baby did die. But he was like, we can't kill her. The reason she did that is because she was going to be sent back to a workhouse. And she's like, I just can't do that anymore. And then like, yeah, we talked about how Alderman Cute was a parody of someone who always wanted to put down the poor And the guy who was talking about like, oh, things were great in the good old days. There was something at the time that was called the Young England Movement, which was just a bunch of like Tory aristocrats who said, oh, you know, England used to be awesome. Let's go back to the days when it was young. Make England great again. I mean, honestly, Mm -hmm. that's what it was. Honestly, yeah. He had some more explicit references to it, but he took a lot of them out. So it's a little more vague. Anyway, uh, that's that's just life. Anyway, that's that's life. (laughs) That's life for you. It's fired. It's fired. It's fired. I... I wish he'd done a better job with this message because I think that we talked about in our Christmas Carol episodes that that was our kind of our one complaint with the book was that it was all about like personal charity. And it's like, okay, well, even if one Scrooge is good, that doesn't mean anything's going to improve for other people. It just means, okay, now Bob Cratchit gets a better salary. So I think it is our duty as people who have worked very hard to understand this crazy ass story to rewrite it or make it into a musical or something (sighs) and get that message out there because he had a, this is so important right now. Like this is exactly what we need, but uh, without the goblins, let's just, you know, I'm just going to say, take the goblins out. No, 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 more goblins. (laughs) Jackie. More goblins. Are you insane? (laughs) Yeah, you're insane. It needs to be more (laughs) goblin heavy than ever before. We're firing Tugby. We're firing Mrs. Chickenstalker. We're firing. Will Fern like we just no not Will Fern let's just keep it simple can't fire Will Fern he he burned down an entire city Rachel <laughs> yeah we need him uh, to burn things okay. down yeah well I think the problem is no one knows this story so then they're just gonna think we copied a Christmas Carol if we have the visions and everything but actually Dickens is the one who copied a Christmas Carol well it's okay because we'll just tell them it's your fault for not knowing the Dickens canon sometimes you don't get an opportunity to say that somebody was saying that they think that It's a Wonderful Life was actually probably inspired more by the chimes 
Because It's a Wonderful Life is like, it's a good guy who is in despair and then he realizes like things would be bad without me. But the lesson of this isn't things would be bad without you. It's people are only bad if, you know, society makes them bad. You're just trying to get me to do my Jimmy Stewart, aren't you? Oh gosh. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Juju. <laughs> so, say something about goblins. Yeah. Well, no, I think what he is saying is like things would be bad without people like you. Like you need to be back in the world yeah. in order to have these opinions <laughs> yeah, right. and act on them, I guess. Theo, do it. <laughs> goblins. I don't know if I can do it. I'm sick. It's usually perfect. <laughs> goblins and juju. That's it. Juju goblins. Okay. Well, can we go ahead and wrap up the episode? <laughs> on that note. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Are you guys firing it? Yeah, it's fired. Sorry. Good concept. Bad story. Theo, are you firing it or, or not? Yes, I'm firing it. Okay. Wow. I think that we can do a better one. I think so. I don't think we could have improved Christmas Carol. I think we can improve the chimes. M- make them gremlins, not goblins. <laughs> make them gremlins, not goblins. That's yeah. Thea's yeah. one note. Okay, now we're keeping it in the canon. <laughs> <laughs> a gremlin story of some bells. Okay. So thanks for listening. Um, happy New Year. Happy New Year. I do want to say that because this is our last episode of the year, so we still are looking for our third page patron to wrap up our stretch goal i know we need a jackie patron it's getting embarrassing everyone stop saying that i feel fine i know that you're coming (laughs) for me okay i know i have faith i don't know who you are but i can feel that you right now are connecting with me through my mind right now and i can feel that it's gonna come so we just need to have one of our listeners have a vision yeah. The lesson they need to learn is to patronize Jackie. Mm-hmm. To patronize her the way that the friend of the poor patronizes the poor. Yes, 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 yes. So please uh, help us wrap up our stretch goal in that way. And we hope that you enjoyed listening to this. Um, my name is Jackie from Fire the Cannon, <laughs> and I need a patron. And uh, our <laughs> contact information is on Instagram, Fire the Cannon Pod. And Twitter as well as Fire the Cannon Pod. Our email address is firethecannonpodcast at gmail.com. If you have hot takes about this story, which I bet that there are a lot of good hot takes you could have, please send us those hot takes. If you like this story, that's a hot take. More than a Christmas carol, explain yourself to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash fire the cannon. Um, we have a Facebook group and discussion group, Fire the Cannon Podcast. Our website is www.firethecannonpodcast.com. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy All right. New Year. And I'm Theo. <laughs> yeah, and I'm Rachel from Fire the Cannon Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we're starting over because was this all a dream? Is this episode oh, over yet? True. Ooh, we might still be in the beginning of it. Perhaps the speakers were the dreamers after all. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right. Bye. Well, from our 12 goblins to yours, Happy New Year. <laughs> God bless us, everyone. God bless us, everyone. God bless us, Goblins everyone. Bless Is that what you said? Us, everyone. <laughs> yeah, God. God. Ooh. You know, God bless us, everyone. All right, we're done. Okay, I'm bye. Stopping. <laughs>